take out your notes. I want to start a message called Getting God's Best in Every Relationship. Getting God's Best in Every Relationship. Stranger Things Part 6. If you don't have notes or if you're online, you can go to waterschurch.guide. Looks like that. You can fill in the blanks online. You can send yourself or email yourself the PDF after the service. Fill in the blanks. Follow along. I always appreciate that. Plus, it helps you remember what the scriptures have taught. Getting the best out of every relationship. In this passage, we study three relationship structures. Marriage, parenting, and labor. Marriage, parenting, and work. And and let's be honest, those three areas of our lives are going to consume the lion's share of our relationship gas tank. Okay, everybody's got a relationship gas tank, and you're going to be putting it into your kids, your spouse. You're going to be putting it into your job, whether you work for people or you work for yourself or you are in charge of other people. You're going to be putting out your energy in these three relationships more than anywhere else. And I'm going to do something today. It's a cardinal sin of preaching. I, I really shouldn't say it's a sin, but, but it's something you shouldn't do. We're, we're going to take a huge chunk of Scripture. We're going to whittle it down to some overall themes because there's no way I can unpack everything pa- Paul has talked about in marriage and in parenting and in work in one, one message. So here's what we're going to do. Today we're going to give you the 30,000-foot fly overview of this text, which I think is about all the relationships of your life. And then in the spring, we're going to do a message series on marriage, parenting, and work that's going to go deeper into this text and others. Sound like a good idea? By the way, be here uh, this campus, Apollo Beach, Wednesday night, first Wednesday in this house, up in North Attleboro, first Tuesday this week. I will be flying back up tomorrow to see you guys. And then Wednesday morning, I will be flying down back here to see you guys. I'm going to be a busy beaver, okay? Now, you better be here to make that flight worth it. Amen. And those of you in North Attleboro, if you want to come down and enjoy warmer weather for a day, you come down and join us. In fact, get on my plane. I'd love to see you there. Anyway, back to the message. Okay. So everything in our culture, guys, everything in our culture is working against exactly what Paul has just unpacked for us. Instead of wives submitting to and respecting their husbands, we have a culture where it's almost like the husband is the joke of the family. Watch television, watch movies, and you see that dad does not know best any longer. In many respects, he's just kind of like a bumbling, stumbling buffoon in the representation of dad. But listen, I believe that in the church, we need to honor men, and we need to build up men of God. Can I get a good amen? Yeah, yeah, men matter. And then instead of husbands loving their wives, it's almost like we don't expect husbands to do that. We don't expect men to do that. Men men are just about partying and fun and just making a lot of money and having a great life for themselves instead of doing what I think is the most important thing a man can do, and that is what? Raising a family, providing for his family, and living an honorable, fatherly life for his children. Can I get a good amen right there? And then instead of uh, parents leading their children. It's almost like our culture is teaching our children to lead parents. It's almost like the school system is undermining. I don't know, anybody anybody feeling this? Like the school system literally is undermining parental authority. And I, I feel bad because I used to be a big fan of public schools. I was raised in the public school. I put my kids through public school until this past year. And I just feel like it's undermining God's code for the family. 
And then employees and employers, there's, there's great things here in this text that, that we need to follow if we're going to see God's best in our relationships. And what you have to understand is everything in your culture right now, America, everything in the Western culture is working to undermine God's plan for your family. And you've got to keep your eyes on this. You've got to keep your heart guarded. And you've got to do what God says because there's two options for you. There's two options. There's God's code for your home or there's someone else's code for your home. And my question to you, all locations, is this. Whose code is your code? It's either God's or it's someone else's. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you, if you put God's house, if you put God's code in your house, it's going to go well for you. Three areas, marriage, parenting, employment. And those three areas are going to take, again, the lion's share of our life. And I would, I would imagine that you want to listen in here today. You want to lean in closely because this is the truth. Either these three areas of your life are really blessing you right now or one of them or maybe two of them or possibly all three of them are really cursing you right now. Like I would imagine that for some of you, whatever stress is in the back of your mind right now is coming from one of these relationships. Like you're either getting blessed from your parenting or cursed, or you're getting blessed from your spouse or cursed, or you're getting blessed at work where you feel like you're under a curse. And here's what God says. It's not about what's happening to you. It's about what God can do through you. You live honorably toward him and he will put honor into your house. Amen. And so I thought about this, like marriage is just a constant struggle for some people. It reminds me of the story, the, the husband and the wife, they drove to the mall together. She drove, I don't know why, but she did, and, and then they went shopping, and they came back out to the car, sure enough, she left the keys in the car, and they were locked out, and then they had to call AAA and wait for the car, tow company to come, all that kind of stuff, and he's like, I can't believe how God could make someone so beautiful and stupid at the same time. And she said, God made me beautiful so that he, you would marry me. And he made me stupid so that I would marry you. Mm. Come on, that's somebody's marriage right there. Come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And anyway, these three relationship structures, marriage, parenting, and, and work, these, these are going to either bless your life or curse your life. Here's the plan. Get God's code installed in your home. You gotta see your, your, your home's like a computer. What's your operating system? Are you flying by the seat of your pants? Are you just winging it? Like, are you just going with whatever feels good? Are you listening to what's happening in culture? Are you watching television? Are you, letting, are you letting the codes of our culture get into your operating system? It could be that you've got a virus in your home and it's not COVID. No, 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 no. It's the virus that's sweeping the world right now. Here's the virus, narcissism. What's narcissism? Love of what? Self. Love of me. It's after the Greek god narcissist who saw his reflection in a river. He fell in love with himself and no one could ever match his own beauty so he died alone. And this is a culture of narcissism. We got the selfie thing going on. Everybody taking out selfies. Listen, this past week, a woman in Florida made headlines. Of course all the weirdos are in Florida. Here's what happened. Not you people, other people. Anyway, uh... She took a selfie. She's an Instagram influencer, model, you know, you know, trying to put herself out there. And, and don't Google this because you'll only help her cause. But the weird thing about it was where she took the selfie. You know where she took the selfie? In front of her father's casket at her father's funeral. And the door and the casket was open. You couldn't see him, but you could see her. She was doing the Instagram pose, the duck face. 
pose in front of the casket at her father's funeral. And behind her, you can see, oh, draped over the coffin was an American flag. So here's a guy who served his country and a daughter he's leaving behind who's serving herself. Like, this is the age that we live in. How did we get here in America? Whichever direction we're going, maybe we need to put the brakes on and do a U-turn. How about that? Anybody with me on this? And so I thought about this is the problem with the family, narcissism. The problem with marriage, narcissism. Me first, all about me. And the problem with work, all about me. And so I want to do something today. I want to give you the operating system God gives Three relationship structures, and they all, and, and I'm going to give you three points, but all three points apply to all three relationship structures. How are you going to get the best out of your marriage? How are you going to get the best out of your parenting? How are you going to get the best out of your work? Point number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. If you're not taking notes, write this down. Getting the best out of my relationships involves seeing them from heaven down. Seeing them. Who's them? Your spouse? Your child? Your parents, your employees, or your boss, seeing them from God's perspective. Okay, a couple of verses there underneath that point. Genesis 126, first verse. That God said, let us make man in what? Our what? Image. Yeah, the theologians call that imago Dei. That's just Latin for God's image. And so let us make man in our image after our likeness. Here's what I want you to think about. Every person you're in a relationship with, if they are a human, that person is made in the image of your father. Your spouse might drive you crazy, but they are made in God's image. Every man in the house, you are married to a reflection of God. Every woman in the house, you are, you are married to a reflection of the living God. And what would your life look like if you valued them for the reality that they're flesh and blood and they are made in the image of your God? I mean, I just like levels up the value. Amen, somebody. And then John 3, 16, we all know this verse. We can say this from memory. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Here's the other thing about that person that you're married to, parenting or in work with, okay? Here's the other thing. That's someone for whom God sent his son Jesus to die for. It doesn't matter how much they bug you. God loves them. It doesn't matter whether or not she's actually respecting you right now. God loves them. And if you want to install the right operating system in your home, it starts not with you changing them, but changing how you look at them. Oh, you're saying, oh, pastor, I thought you were going to come fix my husband today, and you're talking about me. Yes, I'm talking to you. Because you can't change them. Only God can change them. But you can partner with God in seeing them the way God sees them. And then, and then when I looked at this passage, you know, Ephesians 5, 22 to 6, uh, 6, 9, I realized something. There are six relationship structures mentioned. Did you see this? There are six people mentioned. Uh, wives first, husbands second, uh, children, then fathers, and then employees and, or, or workers, and, and then, I'm sorry, em, uh, bosses, and then employees. That's six people. And I want you to see something. In every time he talks to the person about what they should do toward their counterpart, what wives should do for their husbands, husbands do for their wives, children, parents, and all that stuff, he brings Christ in the mix. 
And I thought, whenever the scripture has six people mentioned, it's just begging for a seventh. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Because seven is God's number of completion. Here's what, I'm, here's what the scripture is really saying. Invite Jesus into that relationship. Invite Jesus into that marriage. Invite Jesus into that parenting. So, so here's, here's what I want you to write down uh, in your notes. Every relationship I have as a Christian must be centered on Christ. My marriage has got to have Jesus as the center. My parenting has got to have Jesus as center. And when you look at what Paul says to wives, husbands, children, everybody, he brings the Lord in. Look at Ephesians 5.22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the what? It's the Lord. In other words, see your husband the way you see Jesus. It's, oh, he doesn't act like Jesus. No kidding. And neither do you. Mm, no amens there. Bunch of smart men in this house. But it's not about, it's not about what he or they are doing. It's about what you're doing. And I, and I just want to make one note about wives submit to your husbands. Husbands, listen, the word wives in that verse means that Paul's not talking to you. You know what I'm talking about here? Because here's what we do with Ephesians 5.22 and Ephesians 5.25. Husbands take Ephesians 5.22 and they take their big old Bible and they say, wife, submit, bam. Or wives take their Bible and say, husbands, love, bam. And listen, what you need to do is you need to ignore the parts of the Bible that aren't talking to you and focus on the parts of the Bible that are talking to you. In other words, when Paul says wives, that's not for husbands to make their wives submit. That's for wives to willingly submit and respect their husbands. Same thing with the man. It's not for you to sit there and bang her over the head with the Bible. It's for you to pay attention to your job, and that is to love your wives. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So I always get this. Whenever I talk about marriage, I always get this. No matter what, that after I preach husbands and wives stuff, I usually get a wife who says to me, well, pastor, I'll submit as soon as he loves me as Christ loved the church. Or I get the husband say, well, I'll love her as soon as she submits to me. And I, I want to tell you, if you want to play that game, you are going to be waiting until Jesus comes again. Okay, here's the question. Here's the question. Can you start... Can you go first, all right? We used to play a game when I was a kid. It was called tag. Tag, you're it. All right, today, tag, you're it. You start. You do what you're supposed to do and trust that God will use you doing what you're supposed to do to help them do what they're supposed to do. Can I get a good amen right there? Yeah, 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 do your part. And then he goes on. I don't know if you noticed this, but he goes on in this passage about husbands. Oh, oh! but before we get there, um, at the end, verse 33, he says, let, eat, let the wife see that she respects her husband. Okay, uh, here, here's the deal, guys. The number one thing, ladies, the number one thing that your husband needs is respect. And again, don't come at me with, hey, undo respectable things. No, 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 no don't do that. Don't, don't, don't. Respect him into respectability. You, you give him respect, I guarantee you he will, come, he will become more respectful. In other words, every man needs a woman who believes in him. Because I'm going to tell you something, and this is going to be, you know what, little, little, little door to the back, little key to the back door of my brain and every man's brain, because I know. I've talked to a lot of men about this. Ladies, every man has in the back of his head a little voice. 
And you don't know about this. And your husband won't tell you about this because he doesn't want to seem weak. But the little voice in the back of his head says, you're no good. You're a fraud. Someday everybody's going to find out everything about you. And every dude in the house knows exactly what I'm talking about. Because I got that voice. And I'm on stage. And that automatically makes me more spiritual than all of you. (laughs) By being on the stage. So if I got that problem, you better believe, ladies, your husband has that problem. Listen, you can either help that voice or you can kill that voice. You can help that voice by telling him how bad he's done, how terrible he is, how many times he lets you down, or you can kill that voice by telling him how great he is, how you believe in him, how there's no one like him in your life, how he's the love of your life. You can respect him into a stature that's strong, and I'm telling you, the stronger the man, the stronger the home, the better off you all are. Amen. Now let's turn on the husbands, because I got all the wives like just looking dagger-like at me. Okay. <laughs> husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So again, heaven down. Jesus left his position of privilege to come and serve us. Husbands, that's what we do in the home. We leave what we want to give our attention to her. We don't go play golf six times a week and ignore her. We don't do things that are all about us only and just hanging out with our friends and then just leave her to tend to the house and then expect dinner when we come home. Listen, you've got to lay down what you want to have a good wife. You've got to realize, husbands, and this is important, your wife is your best resource in life. She is helping you become a better man. I'm telling you this as a living example, okay? I remember who I was when I was single. I've been married 21 years, so I know a little something about this. And it's been up and it's been down, it's been up, it's been down. There's been fights, there's been love, there's been all kinds of stuff. But let me tell you, Cheryl has made me a better man today. And every time in my life where I was gonna go do something and Cheryl's like, I don't know, that just doesn't feel right. And I said, ah, what does she know? She's just a woman. And I went and did it. I turned around and said, Cheryl, you were right. Uh, your, your wife has this intuition. She's got this skill that can help you avoid mistakes. You know, you know how she know, you know how you know she has this skill? Because when you get dressed in the morning, men, your, your wife will look at you and say, you're not wearing that shirt today. <laughs> she's right. I'm telling you, she's right. I mean, if you like the way that I dress, thank Cheryl. She's the one to make sure I'm, I'm dressed and ready to go. Or if you don't like me, Blame Cheryl. Okay, that's how it works. That's how it works. That's how you get out of responsibility right there. Anyway, verse 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. When you love your wife, you love yourself. And so just like when the wife respects and submits to her husband, she makes him a better man, so too when a husband loves his wife, she makes her a better woman. She act, you benefit, because this is what it says. When you love your wife, you love yourself. Because she's going to pour into you. She's going to be a resource to you. But if you ignore her, if you've got friends that are closer to you than her, there's something wrong there. If you've got a girlfriend, like if you've got a friend who's a girl that's close to you, man, you're just waiting for disaster. And in your marriage, I'm telling you this, this is God's honest truth here. Listen, your marriage partner has to be your closest associate and your closest confidant. They got to be the one that you pray with that you cry with, that you rejoice with, that you have fun with. 
Let me tell you something else, wives, that your husband wants. Your husband loves to have fun. He loves to go and play a game. He loves to joke around. He loves to, you know, do all kinds of stuff. Don't, don't push that down in him. Let that come out because he wants to have a fun time with you. He wants you to be his fun time pal. <laughs> and it's only going to be better for you. Husbands, cherish your wife. Nourish her, the scripture says. Just as Christ says to church because we are members of his body. Okay, parenting. Look at what he says here. Children, obey your parents in the what? In the what? In the Lord. In other words, invite Jesus in here, children. Okay, listen, children. And I know there's not many in all of our locations, but listen, your parents do know what they're talking about. Yeah, yeah, they were once where you are. And I know the world is different today than it was when they were children, but they do know a lot of what's going on. They know what's up, they know what's down. And your school system might be telling you to not listen to mom and dad, and I'm telling you something, it's only gonna hurt you when you don't listen to mom and dad. It says it right there in the text. It says that this is right. You say, well, what if my parents are not obeying the Lord? When your parents ask you to not obey the Lord, you don't have to listen. As much as possible, as much as you can. But when, when your parents are godly and when your parents are, are trying to raise you up to be respectful and, and dutiful, man, you gotta listen to that parent. They're there for you. They're there to bring you up and raise you up. Verse four, fathers, Bring your children up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Okay, notice the phrase, in the Lord. Uh, dads are real good at, at, at telling, parent, uh, telling their kids how to fish and how to hunt and how to play a hockey sport or another sport or whatever. Fathers are really good, and that comes natural. But listen, have you spent time in your child's life talking about the Lord? Our fathers, this is your responsibility. This is what you got to do. You got you to have that conversation. And, and listen, I, I've never done this. Some, some people think they need to do this. You need to sit down your parent, your, your children and open the Bible and then give them a Bible study. I, I'm a Bible preacher, and I've never done that in my house. Never once. But you know what I do? When I'm driving them to school, we have a conversation. When we're at the dinner table, we have a conversation. Natural, in the moment. As the book of Deuteronomy says, you shall talk about these things as you walk along the road, as you do things, as you do life, you'll talk about the ways of God. All right, it's, it's just gotta come natural. And then verse nine, look at this about work and, and, and employees and employers. Masters, do the same to them. Stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master, that's Jesus, and yours is in heaven. Okay, what Paul does here is, is absolutely groundbreaking in the Bible text. Because here's what he does. He says, employees and employers, you both have a master in heaven. And what Paul does is he introduces, for the first time in human history, he introduces the concept of equality for both those who work for someone and those who have others who work for them. Never before in the ancient world was this the case. Never before. Paul, the scriptures, bring value to employees and employers. Equal value. Okay, now, write this down if you're taking notes. So the final idea, my spouse, child, parent, boss, employee, three things. Number one, they're made in God's image. Number two, they are dearly loved by the Lord. And number three, they are assigned to God's purposes. Husbands, you got a purpose, but your wife has a purpose. Your child has a purpose. And, um, employees, your boss has a purpose from God. Are you helping or are you hurting? And employers, your, your co, your workers, they have a purpose from God. 
Are you seeing them for the value that God puts in them? And then I want you to write this last thing, just so that we make sure that we get this down. When I see them, write this down. When I see them, I see someone made in God's image, dearly loved by my father and here for a purpose. When I see my child, they are made in God's image, loved by God and made for a purpose. And it's my job to make sure that I'm doing what God told me to do so that they can become what God wants them to become. I'm telling you something, you gotta do this now so that when your kids get old, they don't curse you, they bless you. And some of you are like, man, I didn't come from a Christian family. I came from a family that my father and mother got split up when I was young. I lived with several other people. I, my mother was always going out with some other dude or whatever. And, and you just think, that's your, that's your past. Okay, look, I get it. Your past is your past, but here's what God does. He has a power to resurrect and turn around your ancestral line, and he can do it with you. You can be the one. You can be the U-turn generation that says, I know my, my parents and my grandparents were going this way, but as for me, as for my life, I'm gonna turn around, I'm gonna serve the Lord, and I'm gonna trust that God is gonna bless my children and my wife and my home and my work through the Holy Spirit that lives in me. Can I get a good amen right there? And so see them from heaven down. Number two, getting God's best out of my relationships involves serving them from the bottom up. Serving that, so you, you see them from God's perspective. Now, you serve them from where they are. Okay, now look at you serve them from where they are, not where they should be. Thus, the phrase bottom up. Okay, now. Everybody in, this, everybody in this room, you've got that relationship. You've got that spouse, parent, child, boss, employee, and they're just driving you nuts, and you think, man, this person couldn't be worse to me if they tried. Okay, look it. They're at the bottom right now. They're at the bottom. If you serve them, if you do what God asks you to do, God can use that to help level them up. Mm, it can. It can happen. And again, you have a choice. You, you can do what the world does. You can, you can ignore me and say, you know what? I'm just gonna do what I wanna do because I know I don't think they'll ever change and I'm just gonna live my life. And that's just not doing what God says. I'm just telling you, that's not doing what God says. And you can trust that, your thoughts and your ideas, or you can go with what God says and do what does not feel like you want to do it, does not come normally, does not come naturally, and you can surrender what you think is right and do what God thinks is right and serve them even when they are at their worst and see God use that, or you can ignore everything I'm saying and do what you want to do. But as the great theologian, Dr. Phil says, how's that working out for you? I'm just telling you, you can keep, look, the definition of insanity, we've all heard this phrase, right? Is to keep doing the same thing and, make, and, and, think, and failing and, and, and thinking that if you keep doing it, you're gonna get different results. Today is a day for some of you. Today is a day for some of you to say, no, this day is the day I gotta surrender what I think is right, what the culture's telling me is right, and I'm gonna do things God's way. This is the day. So instead of having them, instead of waiting for them to change, instead of waiting for them to do what you want them to do, how about you do what God wants you to do? So how do I serve them? Well, there's a text there, Proverbs 27, 17. Here's what it says. We know this one. Iron sharpens iron, right? And then what? 
One man sharpens another. So, so husbands, you're there to sharpen your wife. Wives, husbands, sharpen your husbands. All that kind of stuff. We, we know that. That's a very familiar text. By the way, when iron sharpens iron, you get friction. You got friction in that relationship? That's a good thing. <laughs> you're sharpening each other. You're, you're cutting off the rough edges of each other. But then look at that next verse. This one is, I love this verse. Proverbs 27, 18. Whoever, what's the next word, everybody? Tends. Whoever, say it like you mean it. Whoever what? Tends a fig tree will eat its fruit. Okay, look, I see it like this. Every person in your life is a fig tree. In fact, many times in the Old Testament, God uses the analogy of a fig tree to refer to a person or to a people. And every person, that means every person has the ability to do a couple things. They have the ability to grow. They have the ability to branch out. And thirdly, they have the ability to produce fruit. But in order to get a fig tree to produce fruit that you can enjoy, you got to do one thing. What is it? Verse 18. You got to tend it. Now, tending a fig tree means paying attention to it. Tending a fig tree means being close enough to it to prune it. Tending a fig tree means that it's on your mind. It's in your vision. You're not ignoring it and expecting fruit to come out of it. Some of you people, you are expecting fruit to come out of places that you have never sown anything into. And what you're getting is nothing because you've never laid yourself down, taken out the equation of you first to lift them up and empower them. Now, if you want to tend a fig tree, you got to do one thing very simply. You got to tend it and listen real close. You got to tend it daily. You can't be like touching it on Monday and saying, oh, I'll see you in two weeks. All right, take care. You got you to get involved. You got to notice quickly when you see a weed popping up, I'm plucking that thing out. By the way, Jesus said this He said, settle matters quickly. When you're on when, with your adversary, sometimes your adversary is your spouse. Can I get a good amen there? No, don't, don't say that. But, but sometimes your adversary is in your own home. And Jesus said, look, settle matters quickly. The worst thing that husbands and wives can do sometimes is just kind of sit on it. Just kind of let that thing bug you and walk away and never do it. And, it just, and then do the, do the silent treatment. That always works, right? The silent treatment. So you don't talk to them, and then you wait for them to say, what's wrong? And then you just kind of like unload. Look, settle matters quickly. Some people, and, and some, some couples, and I've heard this, they say they don't fight at all. Okay, I want to say something. Please fight. If you're not fighting, someone's not being honest. Can I get a good amen right there? Because you're all scaring me right now. All right. If you're not fighting, someone's not being honest. I'm telling you, someone, someone is sitting there and they are just ruminating on all the little offenses that they've gotten notched up from what you've done wrong to them. And you got to let them know. And not everything. Like, you don't have to vomit all over them all the time. All right. But when something is bothering you, let them know. And then listen. And, and look. You can either do this or you can pretend everything's all right until everything goes terribly wrong. And I heard somebody say this once about marriage. Fighting in marriage, two things about it. Number one, it's another form of intimacy. Yes, it's another form of intimacy because you will fight with your spouse in a way that you will not fight with anyone else in your life. 
Amen? You have a fight with the boss, like, hey, man, I really didn't like how you do that. You have a fight with your wife, you're like, you know what I'm talking about? It's just, it's just you know, another form of intimacy. That's all it is. I fight with you the way I fight with no one else, honey. God bless you, right? <laughs> Lucky you. Second, fight for the marriage. Say those three words with me, all of our locations. One, two, three. Fight for the marriage. You don't fight in the marriage. You fight for the marriage. The reason why I'm talking about this thing that I'm really bothered by is because I care about us. The reason why I need to have this conversation with you is because I care about you and me. I want this relationship to work. That's, that's fighting for the marriage. Fighting in the marriage is just, you're just no good. You stink. You never paid attention. I mean, you just tell him everything that's wrong, and you're just voicing the devil's accusations. You're helping the devil. The Bible calls him the accuser of the brethren. And if all you do is label all their faults, you're just doing exactly what the devil does to them. But what God does is he fights for us. He fights for us. Yeah, he, he identifies those things that need to change. And so back to this point, you need, to, you need to tend that fig tree. Here's what I want you to write down. Loyalty, truth, loyalty beats wanderlust every time. So one of the best things that you can do for your marriage, your parenting, your, your employment, just stay loyal. Just be faithful. You know why? Because God is faithful. And God blesses what he does. How many of you are glad this morning at all of our locations that God, when you fail, does not walk out on you? Anybody else glad about that this morning? Yeah, yeah. So if God is all about that, you need to be all about that. If he's the one who is with you in the worst moments and in the best moments, then you, if you're gonna be up with what God does, be faithful with, with them. Be faithful toward them. They're going to sin. They're going to let you down. They're going to do something that makes you want to just blow up. But you got to love them and be loyal to them. And in the long run, loyalty beats wanderlust every time. Here, here's the promise for marriage. Verse 31 in your Bibles. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall, what's the next word, everybody? The two shall what? Become. Now, become involves change. Write that down. Or you don't have to write that down. That's in your notes. It, involve, it, it involves change. That when I marry someone, I am going to change. I say this at every, mar every wedding ceremony that I do. And I know that when I say it, the bride and groom who are standing in front of me are completely ignoring me. So I say it for the crowd. And then I hope that they're recording it so they can watch it back later. But I say, look, you came to the front. By the way, when you come to the front of the church, we call this the altar. And in the Old Testament, what happened on the altar? Things died. They died. They were killed. They were slit across the throat and they bled out. That is a beautiful picture of marriage. <laughs> when... <laughs> When you come down to the altar to say, I do, you just <laughs> what you're saying is, who I was on the way down here is coming to die. And now with you, I am going to become someone different. This is why when anybody ever tells me, well, they're just not the person I married. No kidding. They changed. 
So did you. And by the way, whoever they are is in large part because of you. Oh, you didn't want to hear that, did you? You didn't want to hear that. You wanted to blame someone else. No, no, no. They became someone different because of you. And I'm telling you, it's either the world's way or God's way. If you lay down your life and you let the Lord work through you, doing what you're supposed to do, God will produce in them something beautiful. And then it says this, verse 32. This mystery is profound. I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Refers to means representation. My marriage my marriage represents Christ. Now, I know some of you are saying, and a lot of ladies say this to me, well, what if they're not saved? What if my husband doesn't love the Lord the way you do, Pastor? Uh, look, it's not about, again, what they're doing. And I'm gonna give you a Bible verse to prove what I'm saying is true. It's right there in your notes. 1 Peter 3, 1. Look what he says. Wives, submit to your own husbands so that, and look at those next words, everybody. Look at those. Even if some do not obey the word. Oh, you mean there's no qualification here? Right, there's no qualification. Even if they don't obey God, you submit to them that they may be one, next three words, without a word. Oh, that's hard right there. Without a word, okay, but by the conduct of their wives. I don't know how it is in the other locations right now, but I can cut the tension with a knife in this room right here. I know it. I know because I am. Lit I want you to think about this, ladies. I am literally reading the Bible to you, and you're getting angry. Ah, it's not me. I just deliver the mail. I don't write it. Amen. Okay. <laughs> when they see your respectful and pure conduct, they will be changed. Ladies, you have the pop. You have the opportunity to do this. Years ago, when I was young in ministry and stupid. I used to counsel uh, people alone. I no longer do that. I haven't done that for about 20, not 18 years. Thank God. Jesus saved me from that. And they would come, and a lot of times it was an, uh, a lady that would come, and she would, all she would do, there's one lady particularly would come, and the only thing she would do was complain about her husband the whole time. And uh, I learned real fast, never be alone with a lady too. But anyway, she would come, she would sit, and she would just complain, ah, he doesn't do this, he doesn't do that, he doesn't do this. And, and finally, I said, you know, just stop for a second. Let me ask you something. What's the main problem with you and your husband? I'll never forget her words. She said, he drinks beer in front of me. I kid you not. Now, now, her husband didn't come to church, didn't want to come to church, just sat on the, she said he just sat on the park, a lounger, watched TV all day, and drank a beer. And, and then my response to her saying he drinks beer all day was this. So what? And fire came out of her eyes. And she just dragon breathed all over me. I mean, she just went off for 10 minutes. And how can you? And you call yourself America? And she just went off on me. And I let her do it for 10 minutes. And when she was done, I said one simple thing. I said, lady, if you talk to your husband the way you talk to me, I wouldn't blame him for not coming to church. She didn't come back to church. <laughs> You're getting what you put in. You're getting what you put in. And this is hard for some of us because we're so sure that they need to change. Yes, because you see them from the outside. But guess what you don't see from the outside? You. 
You don't see you from the outside. And I say this all the time, and that is why the child that you have the biggest problem with is the one that's most like you. Because they're showing you from the outside, and when you see you from the outside, you're like, ah. I'll move on because, uh, again, the tension's there. Anyway, <laughs> verse two of chapter six. Honor your father and mother. This is the commandment with the promise that I may go with you, that you may live long. Again, it, it's long-term. You, you have to have a long-term view of your house. You have to have a long-term view of your life. Verse five, uh, it says this. Oh, uh, no, sorry, verse four. Fathers, do not provoke your children. Bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. There was a study done in the 19, I think it was 1997, this study was done about children raised by both Christian parents, one Christian parent, no Christian parents. What became long-term of the child? In the case of both parents being Christian, 90% of the time the children became Christians later in life. In the case where mom alone was the, South, was the Christian, the number was very low. It was like 43% of the time. There was only one scenario where the percentages went up from both parents being a Christian. Do you know what scenario it was? When the father was a Christian and the mother wasn't. In fact, it, 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 was, it was shocking. People were like, a child has a better chance at becoming a Christian if the father alone is a Christian in the home. Now, now that's not telling you wives to abandon the faith for the sake of your children. <laughs> it's telling you how important it is that dad fears the Lord and shows their children how to fear the Lord. Okay, verse five. Bond servants, obey your master's fear and trembling with a sincere heart as you would Christ. In other words, fear and trembling, that's respect. Some of you kick yourselves all the time you shoot yourselves in the foot all the time because all you do is complain about the job. And then you wonder why you never get ahead and you never get picked on for special projects and everybody gets promoted ahead of you. And I'm gonna tell you why. Because your attitude stinks. And I am an employer. And I know this. And I've had employees come through our church and they think, I'm not just gonna do whatever you say. I don't think I'm gonna just listen to you. I'm not just gonna follow whatever you say. You're not the king. And they, don't long, they no longer work for us. And they don't get ahead. It's, it's, to me, it baffles me that there are people that think I am gonna be the biggest pain in the neck to this guy who's given me a job and he's going to elevate me. It baffles me. I don't understand that. Because listen, in a company, the higher you are elevated, the closer you get to the boss. Now let me ask you a question, Mr. Pain in the Neck employee. Do you want people close to you who don't listen to you, don't respect you, and don't, don't follow you? Why on earth would you think they do? This just does not make sense to me. It does not, but it's the, big, the best thing you can do for your own advancement is say, yes, sir, or yes, ma'am. Might, might be a woman. Yes, ma'am. No, sir, no, ma'am. Or what can I do extra? Hey, I finished my project early. Do you have anything else? I mean, you wanna go higher or lower? Because the boss wants somebody next to him who likes them, who listens to them. But again, you can ignore what I'm saying and do whatever you want. But how's that working out for you? Verse six, not by the way of eye service as people pleases, but as bond service of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord, not to man. All right, 
Point number three, and finally, because I gotta close this out. Point number three, getting the best out of my relationships means leaning in for the long term. In fact, this point is so important, I want us all to say it on the count of three, all locations, one, two, three, leaning in for the, yes, yeah, say it like you mean it, one, two, three. You gotta have a long range view of that, of that relationship. Verse 31, the two shall become one flesh. Verse three of chapter six, that it may go well, that you might live long. Verse eight, that you will receive back. This is employment right there he's talking about in verse eight, that you will receive back from the Lord whatever good you do. Okay, a long-term view. Write this down, truth, truth be told, here we go. God is a long-term thinker. In fact, just take a look at the Bible, okay? Here's the, I got a big, fat Bible here today, okay? The New Testament is much shorter than the Old Testament. That means that God took his time before Jesus came along. Anybody ever notice that? It's a 1,500 years of writing before Jesus showed up. Point, God is a long-term thinker. He's not in a rush. One of the things that's killing your relationships is short-term thinking. Killing your relationships. This is why sex before marriage is a marriage relationship killer. Because sex before marriage is the devil's version of marriage. And he's all about fun now, pain later. That's his prescription for everything. Fun now, pain later. And because we're fools, we follow him, and then we wonder why our lives are jacked up. God is all about pain now, pleasure later. That's how God works. It says, after you've suffered for a little while, you will receive back the good inheritance that the Lord has stored up for you. This is the message of Jesus. Struggle now for success later. And again, you have a choice, but you gotta think long-term. Here's, here's what Galatians 6, 9 says. Let us not grow weary in doing good for in what? In due season we will reap if we do not give up. Long-range view. Long-range view of your life. So what is good in God's opinion? Okay, a couple things. Number one, marriage is good. It's on your notes there. Proverbs 18, 22. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. Every husband in the house, just turn to your wife right now and say, you're a good thing, honey. No, seriously, do it. What's wrong with you people? Do it. This could help you out later at night, all right? Just do it. Song of Solomon. This is the woman talking to the man. Song of Solomon 5.10. My lover is dark and dazzling. Wives, when was the last time you said that to your husband? You say, well, he's white. Well, pretend he's dark. My lover, to get him out in the sun down here, especially in Florida, all right? Better than 10,000, when was the last time, wives, you told your husband, you are better than 10,000 others? In fact, I made the husband say something. Wives, it's your turn. Just quote the Bible to him. Just turn to him right now and say, you are better than 10,000 others. Go ahead, do it. Go ahead, do it. I feel the healing happening in this place right now. I feel the Holy Spirit at work right now. <laughs> I had a guy, and I kid you not, this was a couple months ago, I had a guy call me. He had gotten married very young, very young in our church. I married them, actually. Very young, cute couple, very cute. And uh, they were about, you know, a year in, and he got married, like, they were 20 and 19 or something like that. And suddenly he had this awakening. He said, I just realized something, Tim. 
I gave up my whole 20s to be married. And he's like, I'm, I'm missing out. And I'm thinking about all my friends. And I'm, I'm looking at my, and I'm like, I'm wondering what I did to myself. And I said, okay, okay, okay. And I let him go on. This is what I always do when people talk to me about marriage. I let them talk until they trap themselves. I said, listen to me, young man. Everything that you just explained to me is what the devil offers you. Everything that you just explained to me is what the world offers you. Now let me tell you what God offers you. He who finds a wife finds a good thing, receives favor from the Lord. He offers you favor. He offers you blessing. Now, and then I've done the research, so I just started to spout it off. I said, do you understand that married men are wealthier, more satisfied, happier, and healthier than their single counterparts? You know that a single man dies on average 10 years younger than a married man. Do you know why? Because a married man has a wife saying, you're not going to eat that. <laughs> and you're not going to eat that. And you're not going to eat that. I'm testifying right now. <laughs> and I believe this. And I, I told him this. And I said, oh, and by the way, they make more money. And do you know why they make more money? Because they work harder because they know they got another mouth to feed. And they probably got other mouths to feed. And I say this all the time. A heavier truck drives straighter. In other words, a truck with a heavier load doesn't have time for dalliances and excursions off the road. They got to stay the course because there's mouths in the back of that truck. I said, I said, you got to look at your life not like what you're missing out on, but what you're going to gain 20, 30 years from now. You're going to be healthier. You're going to be, oh, by the way, I also told him this. This is a fact. Married men are better looking than their single counterparts. Exhibit A. <laughs> because that man has had a woman in his life saying, you're not going to wear that, and you're going to get a haircut, and you're not going to do that. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. Again, you can ignore everything that I'm saying, and you can plug in the devil's operating system into your home. Or you can go with God. Uh, parenting is a good thing. That's what it says here in Proverbs 4.1. My children, listen to your father... When he corrects you, pay attention, learn good judgment. And lastly, work is a good thing. Believe it or not, work is a good thing. Ecclesiastes 3, 12 to 13. I perceive there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and do good as long as they live so that everyone should eat, drink, and take pleasure in all his what? In all his toil, his work. This is God's gift to man. I want to I have you think about the long-term view of your life because we live in a short-term world. We live in a me-first, narcissistic age. And I'm telling you, for your sake, you got to categorically reject the message of this world and receive the message of Christ. It's a, it's a well-traveled parable, well-traveled preacher parable, but it goes like this. There was three men laying brick, building a hospital. And they came to the first man laying brick, and they said, what are you doing? And he said, I'm laying these stupid bricks. They went to the second man. They said, what are you doing? He says, I'm building this stupid wall. They went to the third man. They said, what are you doing? He said, I am building a space where people will one day be healed. You have a choice about what you're doing with your life right now. You can look at it as a stupid marriage, a stupid parenting responsibility, a stupid job. Or you can look at it for what it can become. 
what God can make it. Because here's the deal, here's the deal. Listen, last thing, and I'm done. Last thing, and I'm done. When God found you, he decided to turn someone that was not into something that is. He decided to take someone that was dead and make them alive. He decided to take someone who was, who was on the wrong path and put them on the right path. Our God sees us for the long term. Do it in your life with those you love. And I promise you the best is yet to come.